Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Drunken PM Radio. This is a special Brave and the Bold episode of the podcast. Maria Mattarelli and Michael Sahodi here, and they're here to talk about a new project that they're working on together. And I'm very grateful to you guys for, for allowing me to be part of the conversation. The reason I'm referring it to a, a Brave and the Bold episode is because I'm a comic geek, and if you read comic books, Brave and the Bold comics are team-up comics where they bring different people together. Um, so, two agile thought leaders and luminaries working together to fight a common problem or fix a common problem or help people rise to a new challenge. So thank you guys for taking time out of your night. Happy yeah, to be here. Thanks, Dave. Happy to be here too. So first, let's just kind of get the headline out. Can one of you guys kind of explain briefly what you're working on and then we'll start to talk about how it evolved? Sure. I'd say the common point is really around helping change agents and managers and companies really help make this whole Agile thing successful because there's a lot of failure out there and it's like, hey, just want to get people oriented for success and head in the right direction. Okay. And Marie, yeah. do you want to, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, what we hear all the time is people want to do Agile. They want to apply these concepts, but they're getting pushback and they don't feel that they have the environment for success and they feel like they're not being heard at that leadership level. So I feel like a lot of things really come back to that at the core, where if you have the right culture, the right environment, the right support from leadership, that's going to be something that makes everything else so much smoother and be effective. Yeah. So I want to, can I say it back to you guys and see if I have it straight in my head? Yeah. Okay. So on the one hand, um, what you're trying to do is to create something that will help people who are in a leadership position kind of embrace Agile a little more, become more of an enabler and supporter of it and become more involved with it than being someone who's saying, go do the Agile and kind of just standing in the way of it. That's from Michael's side. And then from your side, you're facing a lot of what I get, Maria, which is people in class who are like, yeah, well, that sounds awesome, but you don't understand. It's different where I work. Management will never let us do this. Yes, yes, exactly. Did yeah, I so I, I guess what I'd say here is that Agile is a full, 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 full team sport, right? It's not just about the teams. It's about the managers, about the executives. It's about the whole organization, how the organization functions, right? So it's about the culture. It's about the leadership. And how those things create a context where things like Agile can actually work, where an Agile mindset is actually welcomed, or create a context where it's not welcomed and we actually introduce organizational conflict by talking about Agile. Yeah. Okay. So so where did this, where did the, the, the it's a leadership class. Michael, can you explain where that came from? Yeah. So the, I'm part of the Scrum Alliance. I'm a certified enterprise coach with them, one of the, uh, I guess, about 100 now worldwide. And... There's a lot of demand and asking for the Scrum Alliance. Well, you've got this great program for helping people understand Scrum, but what about what about the leaders? What about the managers? And what about people trying to help these organizations be successful? And so the Certified Agile Leadership Program uh, was designed from you know public request to help create a path, a certification path for getting everyone to a certain, like at least with a starting class, a certain baseline of knowledge around uh, organizational structures around leadership, around culture, and how all that is used to support a context where Scrum and Agile can actually flourish. So if I'm, if I'm in senior management and I'm sending all the people on the teams off to CSM and CSPO training and, pro and maybe thinking I shouldn't really go to that training because that's for people at the worker B level, this is a, a, an alternative for me. Uh, well, you know, really, managers need to understand what people are doing. Okay. Right? 
So again, depends how close they are. If they're at an executive level, then probably they, they well, they, they probably should understand the basics of the structures of, of how things are working at a team level so they can actually speak the same language. But that's not where they're going to start. What they're really going to start with is, you know, how are they showing up? How are they creating a context? Because the leaders create a context, which will, you know, and how they behave, how they show up, that sort of sets the tone, the culture for everything that happens, right? Because Agile in, in a large sense is about how do we create context where people are free and empowered to do their best work. And if, as leaders, we aren't creating context where people actually can do their best work, we're not actually getting value for our companies. We're actually holding back the value that could be produced to our organization. So I have a question for both of you, and Maria, maybe you can go first on this one since you mentioned the folks in your class. Do you do you think that? Uh, let me back up. I think it's really easy for folks who are at the team level or trying to implement this stuff to kind of cast blame at management and say, "Well, they're blocking us, they're preventing us, whatever." But my assumption would be that at the management level, that they're not actively trying to prevent this stuff to work. Like they may not even be aware of the ways in which they're preventing change from happening. Do you guys think that that's the case, or is it? Something different. I think that that's a really good way, wording there, Dave. They may not be aware that they're preventing the change from happening. That's what I recall seeing when in my coaching with, with clients uh, most recently in Chicago and with transitioning over 70 teams from using a traditional project management approach to Agile, and these are distributed teams. And a lot of times there, there was a breakdown in communication so I start to see those themes over and over again in different training classes where the team members say this is what we need, but either the managers aren't hearing that, it's not being articulated clearly, or they're, they have a different agenda. They're not, they're not understanding how those roadblocks are preventing the teams from really moving forward and thriving. And sometimes that, I think a lot of it can be in communication breakdown and maybe not taking the time to understand where the team members are coming from not really having that servant leadership mindset and how they interact with the teams. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd add, like, just generally as a, a community in Scrum in particular, it, it starts out by disenfranchising managers who are often, like, very important people in the company. You know, post-Scrum world, they're often disenfranchised. They're told to let teams alone, and they don't really know how to act or engage effectively. So usually what I've seen is either two patterns, either managers taking a big step back and just giving – teams a lot of space and then you often not giving them so much space they end up failing or you know leaning too far in and sort of you know trying to do you know unhelpful patterns that lead to conflicts with the teams like you know called micromanagement or whatever and it's not because they mean to do harm in either case it's just because they're not oriented and set up for success I, right? I, and yeah i was just gonna say, to echo that i think that's really really important i mean when i think about like my background or, or and Anybody who's in management, they got to the position they're in by working a certain way. And if it was a traditional approach, us telling them that doesn't work anymore doesn't really fly because that's how they got the big office. Yeah. So yeah. It's, a, it's a hard change for them because they, they may not even be aware of the problem. Well, and this is the ugly truth. This is the ugly truth of Agile is that when we talk about a shift at a team level towards freedom and empowerment, unless the whole system is moving in that direction, we're actually creating organizational conflict. And unless the, the management team is in support of that and are ready to go on a, on a learning journey to change how they show up to be able to support that context, 
we're actually going to have conflict because they're going to be much more comfortable in the old world. And you have a whole bunch of teams sort of trying to operate in this new world. And we're actually just setting the organization up for conflict. That's what I mean by about this, you know, navigating agile transformation. Uh, you know, it, once we start being aware of this, we can start seeing how bringing agile evangelists into an organization can actually be, just be very damaging. Because we, you know, because the agile evangelists often try to push change, right? And, and actually can create conflict with the existing culture. Whereas, you know, we can actually, if we want to be in harmony with the existing culture, it's hold up a big mirror to the culture and say, hey, this is what you guys are. Is this, are you guys happy with this? Or do you want something different for yourselves? And if the leadership says, hey, yeah, we want something different for ourselves, we want to create a place where people love coming to work. Oh, and oh, crap, we're not doing that now. Then, then something amazing can happen. Then you can have a real transformation. But trying to bring some evangelists and sort of agitate and train people and like that just creates, you know, the typical agile transformation scenario, which lasts between 18 months and three years before it all starts falling apart. So that's a, I think that's a really important point because there's a, when you were saying all that, there's a part of me that's thinking like, well, you know what though, if you make everybody go stand on one side of the boat, eventually the boat's going to tip over and at least the change will be there because it, something broke, right? And now we can fix it. Um, and you were talking about conflict and I think conflict can sometimes be a good thing, but it does sort of yeah, seem like so this is, it sets it, it up for failure because it's, you're not creating anything that will last. No, well, because the lasting success comes from everyone moving, people moving together in the same direction. When we have the whole leadership management structure misaligned with everyone at a working level, which is often what happens with agile transformation, it creates like this very serious conflict. And, and you know, some people believe that revolution can happen from the workers. And I don't think there's a single case study. I've been trying to find one for many, many years now. I haven't heard of a single case study. Where you know where you know where the hierarchy doesn't dominate the people at the working level. So how do you guys go about getting senior leadership? Let's say they so they sign up for the class. How do you help them shift their mindset away from everything they've known up till this point? Uh, well, so the, I, I don't think I can't make people change. People change because they want to change. So it's about appealing to understanding what's important for them. Okay. You know, for, for, so usually just talking about the difference between the agile adoption and agile mindset, you know, just adopting agile practice, that's 20% value. Agile mindset, that's, you know, 3X. That's how to create a resistant, resilient, adaptable, future-proof organization. And, it, you know, so people get greedy, right? They go, oh, I want that. And they say, well, ha, huh, if you want it, you have to do some work. You know, that's the catch, right? It starts with you. If you as a leadership team start collaborating the way you want your teams to collaborate, and you as a leadership team are aligned and coherent, then that'll start playing out the rest of the organization. Do you guys want to do that? And some teams go, yes. Some leadership teams go, yes. Some go, no. And that's okay. You know, not every organization needs to survive in the future. (laughs) (laughs) I like it when that kind of stuff slides its way. It's true. true. Survival is optional. And we know we're in a highly competitive world with high rates of change, right? And, you know, companies that want to become future-proof need to be able to stand up against a Google. That's the truth of it, right? And unless, the only way to stand up to Google is to have people who have fire in their belly, who believe passionately in the purpose of the company and are, 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 you know, welcomed as their whole person so that they give their all and they have a high level of ownership and autonomy so that amazing stuff happens. That's how to become competitive against Google. So... And that's that's a sort of a bigger thing that I'm I don't know 
I'm going to leave that one alone for a minute. So one of the things you just said, though, made me wonder, is is this like this this program that you guys have put together? Is this something that is aimed at a group, a leadership group or a leadership team? Or are you, are you more expecting people kind of come in one by one? So when I do this internally with companies, I usually get the whole leadership team. Okay. That's what I do internally with companies. The public trainings, yeah. that's for people who are interested in making an impact on this world. So it could be, you know, one person from a leadership team. It could be the internal, you know, coach or change agent. It could be, um, you know, I get a lot of people who are change agents trying to help these companies. So they are actually really interested in learning this stuff. So they can be the, you know, be the waves of of change out in the world, which, you know, just delights me because the more people that we have out there inviting leaders to, you know, go on a transformational journey, I think the, the better this world will be. Okay. And so, Maria, what kind of stuff's going to happen in the class? Well, this is really where Michael's expertise comes to the forefront because Michael has, you know, in his recent books, his work working with large enterprises, he's pulled together some really great ideas around what people need. And so we're going to have a webinar coming up in a few weeks where Michael's going to go through in detail, you know, what are some of those core concepts that leaders need to be aware of? And the training class is Michael can speak a little bit more to the detail. It's going to have a lot more on how to actually start that change. And with that mindset. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Dave, I the, 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 you know, really super brief summary Yeah. is culture and leadership are two sides of the same coin. Right. Okay. So we can't really talk about one without the other. So what I, the, the most important part of the class is providing a set of reading glasses or models that help people uh, become aware and understand organizational culture. Because where people often say it's this mysterious hidden thing that we can't talk about. And I don't, I don't have that reality at all. I actually see it's very, very crisp, very easy to articulate, very easy to mark and identify. So it creates a language for creating markers for like what's, what's existing organizational culture like and what what do aspirational organizational cultures look like? So we go through a number of case studies for just amazing organizations in the world that have people who are highly engaged and understand what those look like. Because some people don't even have a concept of it. We're so conditioned to sort of business as usual. We, you know, it's hard to even fully understand these systems where, you know, people have things like transparent salaries or, you know, they actually let people make decisions how that could actually work. <laughs> so can be a bit of a mind-blowing experience for some people. Well, I think, and that's very common in the classes, at least the CSM classes, people are like, does this stuff actually work? And, and you know, I, I tend to say things like, oh, yeah, you know, and Joy, uh, if you read Joy Inc. at, at Menlo, they yeah. can do a 50-person stand-up in 15 minutes, which is what yeah. Shane told me he saw them do. And I think that's awesome, but that's also like zero body fat. I mean, yeah. that's that's something that an almost unattainable goal, goal for a lot of people. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know what I usually tell people about this stuff is some of it will be like science fiction because it's so far of your ordinary everyday experience. Oh, wow. And the, pur- okay. the purpose of talking about it is not is to say, look, they're aliens, they're alive, they're living among us. Right. Like, <laughs> it's true. These companies exist, but we but it feels uncomfortable to acknowledge they exist because, you know, people have it really good. Some yeah. people really have joy at work. And like that's so far from the experience a lot of us have. We say, we deny it. We say, oh, this can't really be real. Um, but, but it's out there, right? And we can create it for ourselves, either within you know, our team, our department, our division, our company. It's possible, 
uh, provided we want to go there and provided, you know, we want to be the change that we want to see. Um, so, yeah, so, so talking about leadership, organizational culture, how those two are interlocked, models for understanding them. And then, and then part of the next part of it is about how we grow ourselves as individuals, as, as leaders. And then the other part is how we help organizations grow and how we can foster growth in our organizations so that organizations can evolve. Okay. So it's not, thinking about transformation as more like a natural process of, hey, let's look at where we are right now, very honestly, and say, how do we grow in the direction we'd like to grow in? Well, so the way you just phrased that makes me want to ask you both a question. Do you think that when an organization begins to go down that path of change, is there a point where they're like, we've transformed? Or is it, is this one of those things where it's like, you start down this path, the path has no end? Yeah, it's like that. There's okay. no end to the path, right? That's Did- why agile rollouts. And, you know, this is our rollout plan for our agile yeah. transformation. doesn't make any sense because it's got a, you know, a rollout plan is a defined end. Yeah. Okay. Dave, I believe a lot of companies think that there's an end. I think that they believe that after a certain set of steps that, okay, now we're good. Now we are agile. We are the agile. Right? Yeah. And what Michael's saying is it's, it's almost like it's a lifestyle. Yeah. Right? So it's like being healthy you you hear that all the time well you know it's not just eating healthy for a week or two weeks or a month it's truly a lifestyle to be healthy or be active and similar with agile i think a lot of companies think of it as a transition let's do the training let's go through you know this curriculum let's have our agile coaches here in place and now here you go. Everyone's gone through a couple of sprints, but that's really where it kind of begins now that they're starting to apply this stuff. Okay. Now what's happened, what happens and how do we react to that? How do we respond and how do we nurture the positive change? And not just now that challenges are starting to come up. Oh, well, I guess this agile thing isn't working. Yeah. Well, all right. So I want to try to draw a parallel and see how you guys both react to this. And it kind of riffs on what you were just saying, Maria. I think, Let's say somebody joins a gym, right? They get really in shape. They get to the point where they're like, I'm fit. I've lost the weight that I wanted to lose. I'm great. And then slowly over time, they let things creep in and they're not as in shape as they were. Um, And you can always get back to that state or even improve upon it. But there's going to be times when you're going to need to like reapply yourself and get somebody else to do an assessment and maybe help you reform your goals and be more disciplined about it. Um, do you guys think it's the same way with an organization applying change or is it you get the change to stick and it's stuck and we can just keep moving forward? Yeah. So, so Dave, I think the metaphor is not what I've seen for agile change initiatives. What I okay. see for it is um, internal organizational conflict. That's never actually resolved. So nobody ever gets in good shape. <laughs> the organization is never actually good at a team level. There might be some getting in good shape or they're, or they're right? running like six miles and then smoking a pack of cigarettes when they're done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At a team level, we might get little pockets of, of kind of good. Yeah. Well, you know, well, you know, people box out, you know, the rest of the organization, but eventually, you know, it comes back to whatever the organizational culture is. It comes back to the, the norms, which are defined by the leadership. So, you know, you can get an abeyance from it. You might get to be, you know, be able to, you know, maybe, you know, run one short race or something like that because you're in good shape a bit, but it's going to regress back to, you know, business as usual. So you need to develop sort of like a a skill at being more mindful of the culture and what's happening and seeing the little inflections that are occurring. Yeah. So one, one, one executive I worked with described it this way is that, you know, every chief officer should also have an and chief culture officer as part of their title. (laughs) 
because it's not a delegatable job. Like culture is everyone's job at, in the leadership. Okay. Everything leaders do, everything they say, what they notice, what they don't notice, what gets rewarded, what gets asked about, what gets measured, that defines the culture of what's actually getting valued and what's important. If they talk all about safe, personal safety for people, they talk about valuing people as human beings, they talk about bringing the best in the people, and that's all that they focus on, you're going to have a very different organization compared to when they're focused on, are we making this date for this project? Are we making this date for this project? What about this project? Hey, can we get another project done? You can tell which, you know, we're going to get very different performance characteristics from these different leadership teams talking about very different things. Yeah, but I mean, creating that self-awareness is, that's, I mean, it almost sounds to me like that's the biggest challenge is how do you teach people to become more aware of that kind of behavior? Uh, I think the awareness is easy. Everyone equipped at birth with awareness to pay attention to things. The, The bigger question is about helping them understand what they want. And I, I think this is where a lot of agile coaches, a lot of people in our industry are in denial. Sometimes we ask leadership what they want and we don't like the answer they give us. Or we start coercing to give us the answer that we want. And the magic secret that I learned, and I've failed lots of times, the magic secret is to let go of the outcome that I want from the organization and let the people who are stewards of the organization, the leaders of the organization, are stewards and let them choose what they want for themselves in the organization because it's their choice. It's not my choice. Just because I want to have people be happy at work doesn't mean it has to be in their organization. It's up to them what they want to do with their organization. So I completely agree with you. And there's another side of me that's thinking like, yeah, but they've only ever known one way. Like if I go into an organization and I say, okay, we're switching over to Agile, Tell me about the kind of reporting you'd like to see. They're going to ask for Gantt charts and utilization reports because that's all they know. Until we yeah. we teach them to ask different questions, then they'll then then maybe they'll ask for different things. Well, that's why I ask about what they what do they want. Usually, I try to get Agile killed in the first hour. I'm in contact with a client when I started an Agile change initiative. Okay. What if they get Agile killed? I mean, I ask, why do you want to do Agile? And they give me all these reasons. And I say, great. Can we create a project around trying to accomplish these things? Great. You notice Agile is not the reason why we're doing these things or a part of this. We may use Agile to help get us here, but we're not trying to accomplish Agile. And they go, oh, yeah, that's right. We were trying to accomplish this. This is what we want. And I say, okay, do you understand that if you really want to get this, you guys are going to have to change how you're showing up? And they go, ha. You know, and then then they have a choice whether they really want to go in that direction or not. Yeah. But I try to get Agile off the goal because when you get Agile as a goal, then it becomes, oh, you're not Agile or, you know, we're Agile. Leave us alone, right? And it's just totally nonsense. What we should talk about is, well, do, how do we get to a quality product? How do we get to engage staff? How do we get to customers that are delighted? Yeah, and then if we're all focused on that, then it's aligned with business as usual in the company, right? How do we, you know, as a business, we're focused on delighting our customers, having engaged staff, and building quality products. Yeah, there's a lot of distracting stuff. I think Agile is one of them. I, one of the, the things I thought was so great at the conference a few weeks ago was, talking to Chet and he's like, why the hell are you worried about scaling? You can't even deliver shippable product in two weeks. There's so many (laughs) simple, basic things that you need to be worried about that that bigger stuff is just like, I mean, like, you know, Agile, Agile's not the goal, delivering valuable product, customer value, treating people better. And like you said, Michael, having a place that brings joy to people when they go to work, those would be great goals. Well, and Dave, if you think about back to the analogy, it's like, why, an infomercial about all these people in shape and you know it's almost like 
putting on the, the new gym clothes and getting that new workout machine. Oh, now I'm ready, right? So <laughs> when you put on that- Well, yeah, that, I got those P90X yeah. discs in the mail, so I should be in shape now, right? <laughs> right. Well, and then, you know, you have the, the meal plan that they sent you. Yeah. And maybe you had one meal off of it. So it's almost like, you know, going through the motions of, well, this is what appears to be working for other people. So let's do this agile thing. Now that we look agile, we have the right outfit on to go to yeah. the gym. Now that we have the right equipment, okay, now we should start seeing the results. But if you don't actually put in the sweat, if you don't do these other things, if you don't truly at the core change what you're eating, right, then how can you expect to get that six pack? Yeah. Thank you for saving my metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> well done. That was brilliant. Yeah, that was a really, that was a nice save. But you're, I think you're right. I mean, is that, so do you guys focus on that aspect of you? We, look, we've talked about culture, but what about the discipline and, and that side of it? Is that something you guys spend time on in the, in the workshop? Well, discipline is only needed when we're making, we're trying to course ourselves into doing something. Like if you've got a kid who wants to play, he'll play, Right. If you have an adult that wants to engage in an activity and wants to accomplish something, they'll engage in an activity. There's not a lot of discipline required because people will do it naturally because it's what they want. But that's a much bigger thing that you just said because what then – I'm going to kind of walk into the area where I always back into stuff when we talk about it. You've, you're, you're trying to cre create awareness that might lead to desire. If you yeah. can find – the thing that's going to drive that behavior, make the kid want to practice piano every single day, and then they'll do it with joy because they, that's the, the reward is the activity. Yes. But, yeah. but getting to the point where, where you get the kid to want to do that, that's the trick. Well, that's where, you know, people try to trick their children or try to trick executives, right? I okay. don't, I don't try to trick executives. I don't advise tricking executives. I invite like having real conversations to talk about what's important for them and what do they want. And, so, you know, some executives will, you know, a lot of executives are really not very happy and they do want to do something good and they just don't know how or are afraid. Right. So that's usually what I see is that, you know, in their hearts somewhere, there actually is a desire to do good. And that's what, and, and by helping them connect with that feeling, Right. It's about helping them make the connection, not giving them something that isn't, that isn't already there. It's about helping kind of, you know, someone says, you know, what's the sculpture, right? You know, once you take all the weight, all, all the rocks that's not needed, you're just left with this beautiful sculpture. Right. So that's kind of what I see my role is helping them discover what's there in themselves. That's pretty cool. So it's, I mean, I, the things you, that you just mentioned, like ex simple examples, they might read that Harvard business article that just came out a couple months ago that Jeff wrote. And they want to do good things, and they, that sounds like it might do good things, but there's a lot of steps in between. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that there's some sort of, usually I see there's some sort of dream of greatness, right? Okay. Or there's some sort of desire. One, one VP I'm working with, he said, you know what? You know, when I was 11, I saw this guy being really mean to his staff, and I said, I never want to be a boss like that. I don't want to boss people around. And so he's working really hard at creating like a boss-free environment where He's just holding space for people. Wow. That's so very cool. he had cool. that dream when he was 11. I mean, it's like, you know, I was working with him for a couple of months before I got that story out of him. It was like yeah. really amazing. I was sitting there in his heart the whole time. Wow, that's cool. So, okay, so part of it then is helping them discover what that is if they can't remember it. Yeah, usually it's just sort of a deep, deep feeling that'll okay. be inside. 
that that it'll drive change. And again, like this is where it gets really interesting because different people on the on the leadership team are going to have different ideas. Yeah. And that's where it gets really, really interesting because then the most senior leader says, well, huh, what's the, are, are everyone signing up for the journey I want to go on? And then, you know, do I give up my journey or do I find a new leadership team, right? And I think there's an article and, uh, and I can't remember what, what one business application where one, one CEO got rid of his whole leadership team because they didn't really want to give up power. Wow. He wanted, to create an, he wanted to create an environment where people really enjoyed coming to work <laughs> every day. So he said, oh, that's, that's simple. You don't want to go on the journey with me. Goodbye. And then he created a beautiful environment for people. Because he was ready to give up power. He did, but his, his people reporting to work. Okay, so you guys are going to do the webinar to kind of give highlight of how this is going to work. And that's going to be on the 25th, right? Yep, August 25th at 7 p.m. Central, 8 okay. p.m. Eastern. So if I'm curious about the class, what kind of stuff's going to happen in the webinar? So the webinar is about navigating agile transformation, an updated survival guide. Okay. And Michael can speak a little bit more to this as well. Yeah, so really this is giving away the most important lessons and tools that people can use to navigate agile transformation. Okay. So it's understanding the difference between agile adoption, and agile transformation, um, understanding um, how to ask for what, you know, I spoke about this earlier about how, what, what leaders really want for the company, how to look at organizational culture and understand where it is and where, where it might go so that one can actually find a place to say, Oh, this is the kind of change we're trying to do. And this is what it takes. Okay. Like, for example, there's very, very practical things. Like if one's going on a transformational journey, John Cotter has, you know, this amazing, you know, eight-step process. The first step is really, really important. Like 75% of the management team thinks the status quo is completely unacceptable, right? Like that's really good wisdom to have, right? It's a really good safety toolkit. It's like, well, are we doing a transformation? Let's see. Let's see. We People think it's kind of a good idea, but this agile transformation is number eight on our priority list for the year. So no, I don't have that criteria. So great. It's probably not an agile transformation. It's probably like an agile enablement of some kind. Okay. Right. Or an agile transition where we're trying to do something tactical and maybe a little bit strategic yeah. with agile, but nothing around the culture, nothing around the leadership. And we're not really looking for, a, you know, a big, a big shift in what's happening here. Okay. But I, I mean, any one of the, any step in the, do you agree that any step towards that direction is a positive thing? Uh, that's a really good question. I generally believe that, you know, everyone's on a journey personally, every organization's on a journey as a, as a whole system and, you know, helping people along their journey in any way I can is something that I'm very interested in doing. Okay. Um, would I, would I say that an agile adoption or something like that is really going to help a company? Um, it, it will, cause it'll sow some seeds. And probably there'll be little pockets of outbreak of agile culture, you know, or, you know, people actually really actually being empowered because there's some managers who will be more progressive. And I think that's going to be a really good thing for that company and for the world in, as a whole. So, so the answer is yes. And that's why I go, well, hey, if you want to do something tactical, great, let's do that. If you want to do something cultural leadership oriented, let's do that. So can I, I just want to echo something you said and make sure that I have it straight because it, it sounded pretty awesome and I want to make sure I didn't misunderstand it. Um, that going through the practices, establishing the practices, that's that's one thing and that's fine. But having that become becoming agile from a cultural perspective, a mind shift perspective, that's that's where the lasting change is going to actually take place. Yeah. That's okay. the only place. Okay. Otherwise and, it's 
you know, I mean, you can get like, you know, 20% improvement of the adoption stuff. You know, it's very useful, good, good practices, right? But if you want the three acts, if you want like a, if you actually want to have an agile organization that's nimble and future-proof, then that requires an upgrade of the cultural operating system. Yeah. In, in most places, yeah. And Dave, one of the challenges that I've seen a lot of is that companies will tiptoe forward. They will dip a toe in the water, right? Yeah. So it often starts with, let's get our people trained as scrum masters. Let's do a CSM class. Okay, now let's you know maybe do another Teams class or you know, eventually they'll bring the product owners around after the scrum masters have had so many challenges, not having anyone who knew what that product owner role really was. And then like three to five months later, oh, let's bring in the leadership team to get them up to speed with what the teams have been doing. And so they can understand what people are talking about. And that's so backwards, right? But we have these people that are taking a toe here, toe there, two, three, four months in between getting people trained. And then they're like, oh, well, now what do we do? It's eight months later. And well, maybe we need someone to guide us through our journey. And it it seems like too often they have these excuses on, well, we only got this budgeted for the class. So they don't bring in a coach yet. Right. Or we want to train people internally and then kind of see how that goes. So, you know, imagine you have a sports team without a coach. Right. Yeah. You have these people that are on their own practicing, but not as a cohesive unit, not uh, together. So you have people on so many different pages with different styles and different things they've heard. And so really what we're saying is we want to, you know, when people are dipping that toe in, they're only going to get so much of a response or something back. But if we can really look at what's the real goal here, what's the big picture, if we can commit to this approach now, what are we capable of if we've got our full attention on that? Yeah, it's. I completely agree with what you just said. It's 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 hard. I think it's hard for me in the class when I'm teaching, and I keep hearing that. No, you don't understand. My company's different. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. It's not. It's the same as all the other companies. <laughs> yes, yes, all the time. <laughs> you just you don't you you know you want to be able to have one thing and the other at the same time, and it's. But that's also I think it's an understandable part of the change. It's difficult. Um, all right, so you got the webinar, and and the webinar. Am I correct, Michael, in assuming that a lot of what you're covering there is is kind of rooted in your book, but it's an updated version of what you covered in your book? Yeah. So, um, Dave, I'm sad to admit this, um, but my book is four years old. People yeah. still read it. You know, people have been agile coaching for you know decades. We're gonna go. Oh my god, that was really good. I Time, know, really? timeless, really? timeless wisdom. Yeah, and I, I, I like. Yeah, what I, I haven't uh, put the time and energy into writing the next book or the next two books. So, you know, the Certified Agile Leadership and this webinar, this is the best way to get at that those learnings. Okay. Um, in, you know, in the absence of having a book, the next book out. Cool. Okay. So, they can come to the webinar and the class is actually going to take place on September 22nd and 23rd. And it's there's one in Chicago and you're also going to do one in... In Toronto. Toronto. I'm glad I didn't say Vancouver. Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere up north, you know. Yeah, somewhere up there. Yeah, so on the on the September twelfth and thirteenth. Okay, and so if they want to learn about either one of these, so so for the one in in Toronto, they can go to to agilitrix dot com, right? Yep. And to learn about the one in Chicago, Maria, where are they going? Yep. So agileleadershipchicago.eventbrite.com to see more about the details of the class and to reserve your seat. And then for the webinar, go to agileleadershipchicago dot com forward slash webinar cool and i'll make sure to put links for both of these in the show notes what if they want to get in yeah, touch with you great. guys individually so maria how do they reach you 
Uh, you can find me at findmaria.com. From there, you can get to my website uh, contact form, or if you can spell my name, then you can find me on social media, Maria Mattarelli. <laughs> okay, Michael. Yeah, for mine, it's my website, adeltrix.com, or just Google Michael Sahota. Okay. Uh, I've got a very easy to find uh, name. Well, I'll probably put your Twitter accounts in the show notes as well, if that's okay. Okay, that's Perfect. wonderful. Cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, thank you very much. Good luck with the webinar and the class. So if you're interested in these, please get in touch with these guys. It sounds like a really great learning opportunity and drag your executive leadership or hopefully they would want to go on their own. But if they won't, chain them to something and drag them to the class. Yeah, or, or perhaps invite them. And <laughs> oh, sure. Go with your nice police. Yes. <laughs> invite them or chain them to something. Either way. <laughs> All right. So I can't give you guys a hug, but thank you very much for doing this. This is yes, cool. Yes. Thank you, Dave. Thank this you. is awesome. Dave. Thank you, Michael.